Welcome to Seeking Scripture Deep Diving Bible Study. I'm Christy Jordan, and I want to help you develop a firsthand relationship with the whole Word of God. For links and graphics mentioned in my podcast, please visit the corresponding post on SeekingScripture.com. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. Good morning, siblings. Today's readings are Acts 14 through 15. Rabbit Trails John 3.30 says, I must decrease so that he can increase. I want to begin my notes today by addressing what some of you may be feeling. When we read the word of Yahweh from start to finish, we find that it is, more often than not, a different book than what we thought it was. However, it can be a great comfort to see that contradictions we once quietly struggled with aren't really contradictions after all. To see the God we love be true to His Word from start to finish, to read of His steadfast love and mercy, to see grace from the very beginning of time, it strengthens our resolve and deepens our love. But with that awakening to the whole truth of His Word comes conviction. It's impossible to read the Word with the guidance of the Holy Spirit and not be convicted. We will inevitably see things in us that create an unnecessary divide between us and the Father. We will find parts of our character that are not representative of Him and must be altered. We will find things in our lives that have been slowly pulling us away from Him, and we must let them go. We will mourn during this process. We will grieve that we allowed these behaviors or things in our lives to begin with, and yet, at the same time, We will grieve that we have to let them go. We've all been there, and if you haven't, get ready because it is coming. I wanted to share this with you so that you would know that you're not alone. This is the refiner's fire. And y'all, as I've said time and again, it is a process, and what a process it can be. Just remember, when you're passing through the refiner's fire, you're also being held in the refiner's hand. No matter how hot the flames, there is no better place to be. Let us show grace and love to one another as the Father continues to work on us. And with that, I wanted to remind you of this verse. It's Matthew 18, verses 1 through 14, or 10 through 14, sorry. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Precious siblings, Each one of us has been or will be that lost sheep. If you're feeling out of the fold a bit right now, I want to remind you that our shepherd has such love for you that he will leave the 99 to find you and bring you back as he has done for each of us. He left the 99 to find me. And if you feel like you're lost right now, cry out to him 
because the shepherd is coming to rescue you as well. Now let's dive into today's notes. Acts 14 verses 1 through 6. We need to pay special attention to the language here. In Acts 14.1, it tells us that a great multitude of the Jews and Greeks believed. But then, in the next statement, it tells us that the unbelieving Jews stirred up problems with the Gentiles. This is that same broad-stroke translation brush that denigrates the Jews as a whole when, in reality, it's likely that this should have noted that a smaller portion of the Jews were stirring up problems. With a careful reading of 14.1, we can infer that. Good thing we're carefully reading now. Keep in mind that the men preaching the gospel were, themselves, Jews as well. We have to be mindful not to create an even greater Jews versus Christians narrative in what we read, because this is a trap we have fallen into for far too long. The Jews versus Christians narrative contradicts Yahweh's word, his character, and intent. We go on to read in Acts 14.5 that the group causing trouble consisted of Jews and Gentiles. I just wanted to point this out to help us notice little things like this and be more aware as we dig into and study the Word. Acts 14, verses 9 through 10. This is a very powerful scene for me. I've done a good bit of public speaking, and from time to time as you're speaking and looking out over the audience, you often make a distinct connection with an audience member. There's something about their gaze. You'll lock eyes with them, and you just know. Now, each time this has happened to me, that has been a person who was there for a purpose. They had something very special to share with me, or a deep question to ask that I realized the Father had brought me there to point them to the answer. So, when I read this scene, I feel like I know a little of what Paul felt. The tension in the air, the contact and recognition of contact made. Paul's confidence in the Holy Spirit is on full display when he stops what he's doing and boldly calls out for the man to be healed. When the people start crying out and shouting that Paul and Barnabas were gods, the immediate grief and horror that Paul and Barnabas felt tore at my heart. Their response reminded me of Moses' response at the start of the rebellion of Korah in number 16. They immediately tore at their clothes and began crying out, trying to correct the people. The apostles knew full well the grave sin the people were committing, and they immediately saw the horror of this error. I wonder what that conversation was like later that night, once they were safely away from almost being held up as golden calves. I imagine they went over and over each moment of the teaching seeking a way to avoid even coming close to being seen as such a way in the future. I can only begin to imagine how they praised and thanked the Father for having escaped that. I'm relieved just reading about it. Whew, that was close. Acts fourteen nineteen offers us but a single line telling us that Paul was stoned. Now, to be stoned was a brutal punishment. And this was so severe that Paul was dragged out of town and presumed dead. So we know he was stoned to the point of unconsciousness. The next day, he got back to work for the Father, preaching the gospel and encouraging believers. Wow. Moving on, this is a standalone statement that needs no explanation at this point, so I'll just share it knowing that it will make your heart smile as it did mine. Acts 14.27 
And when they arrived and gathered the church, Ecclesia, together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Did y'all catch that little bark? I try to edit those out, but some days I just have to keep going. So you will occasionally hear a bark. Interesting note. Have you been noticing how many times Paul has observed Sabbath in our reading so far? The book of Acts alone records the apostles keeping Sabbath 84 times. Acts 15 verses 1 through 31, it's important to take into account the fullness of this conversation and what exactly is being said here. So there is a debate going on about the Gentiles and what all they have to do in order to come into the faith. Keep in mind, this is not a new faith, but one that was established at the beginning of time. The Pharisees and others feel the Gentiles must immediately begin to observe all that the Jews observe, keeping all the laws of Yahweh immediately. This is kind of like us moving to a foreign country and being expected to know the language on day two, having never heard it spoken or even known it existed before day one. Now, keep in mind that the Jews were raised being taught the law, being immersed in the law, and in communities where the law was, well, the law. (laughs) Does the law of Yahweh seem overbearing? Well, when you consider that the United States has well over 25,000 laws, so many that we can't even get an accurate count, and the whole of Yahweh's law, many of which only apply to very specific groups, has an estimated 613 laws. In reality, Yahweh's was, is, and remains the easiest, simplest, and of course, the best. Ravi Zacharias once said, The reason we have 17,000 pages in our law books is because we can't follow 10 lines written on tablets of stone. How true. But I digress. So the Jews wanted them to immediately transition to following all of Yahweh's ways. But the apostles realized that this is a pretty tall order, expected in such a short amount of time. And so they debate. And James finally decrees in Acts 15, 19 through 20, Therefore, it is my judgment that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to Yahweh, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Okay, got it. Those are the basics. But the next sentence is key to understanding what he's saying here, and it's often overlooked, so don't shut the book just yet. Acts fifteen nineteen through 31 goes on. From the, for from the ancient generations... Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Now, for the whole context, go read Acts 15, 19-31. So, this statement from James is key. James is saying, and this is my paraphrase, let's start him out with the basics, just some basic ground rules to build on, because they're in our synagogues every Sabbath, where the books of Moses, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, are being read. And if we just give them the foundations to start with, they will continue to learn the word of Yahweh, growing as believers, and coming more and more in line with living according to Yahweh's wisdom, commandments, and teachings. Now, Acts 15.32 further expounds upon this with, And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And in Acts 15.35, we read, But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of Yahweh with many others also. So we see that folks are taking these new converts from idol worshiping and showing them how to follow the one true God. They're teaching them the word, encouraging them in their walk, and building them up. 
So do you see why that sentence was key? That was the because portion of the statement saying, let's just tell the Gentiles to do this. It wasn't a let's just have them do these things only, but a let's start them here statement. So if Acts 15, 19 through 20 was all the Gentiles would be expected to do, that means the Ten Commandments are out the door. They can commit adultery, murder, steal, etc. This exposes the fallacy that we are somehow exempt from what the Father clearly stated was for all those who would call themselves by His name. Remember Exodus twelve twenty nine says, The same law shall apply to both the native and the foreigner who resides among you. Y'all, whenever anyone gives you a verse, take a chapter and always read the verses before and after any verses you're trying to learn from. Regarding what we just discussed in Acts 15, 19 through 20, note that the basic ground rules which the apostles established for new believers are often referred to as the Noahide laws, so named by our Jewish brethren in their Talmud. To this day, most Jews believe these rules are all a Gentile is required or even allowed to keep with regards to Yahweh's law. The Bible says, however, but wait, there's more. <laughs> they are certainly a good foundational start, but they don't even cover the Ten Commandments fully. Remember that James said this is a start only and they would pick up the rest over time. And here's a little footnote. The Talmud basically is the additional set of laws held by our Jewish brethren. It's kind of like their version of our church doctrine. Both are a set of extra-biblical teachings which are held up as equal to, or in some cases, even weightier than the Word of Yahweh. Think the church doesn't do that? I challenge you to ask Yahweh to show you how it does. So, back to the approximately 613 laws. Did you know that most practicing Christians today actually keep almost all these laws that apply to us? It's amazing how close Christianity is to being in complete obedience to Yahweh's Word. If only we would turn to Him with a heart for full obedience. Warning, humor ahead. I can't help it. I really love this part. I don't know what your translation says, but in Acts 16, verses 16 through 18, my main Bible says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are the servant of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. Paul, living in our time, I can so often relate to you here. (laughs) This is my chuckle for the day, so I'll stop there. Test everything. Hold tight to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 We are saved by grace alone. Obedience is not the root of our salvation, but it is the fruit. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. I love y'all. Bye-bye.